Turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to read a passage from the Old Testament now, and then later on in the middle of the message, we'll read a passage from the New Testament. But Ezekiel 37, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture out of the great prophecy of Ezekiel. We are in the middle of our series that we've entitled God of the Valleys. We've been talking about different valleys in Scripture and how they relate to us because we all go through valleys in life, don't we? Anybody here ever been through a valley? Let me see your hand. Right, yeah. How many of you like the mountains better? <laughs> right? Spiritually speaking, at least we do. But, uh, but we've been talking about these different valleys. And today we're, we're going to be talking about the Valley of Dry Bones. One of the most powerful and most amazing uh, scriptures, passages of scripture in all of, all of the, the, the Bible. Are you there yet? Ezekiel 37? Say amen. All right, here we go. Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Bow your head and let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that, uh, uh, that you're, you're in this place today. You've already been moving in our lives. And Lord, I'm just believing you that uh, today, God, that you have a message for us, a, a specific word just for us in this place today. God, I know that if I preach this message in my own strength, it will be of no avail. I also know, Lord, that if we listen to this message in our own wisdom, it will be of no avail. So God, I'm just asking instead of that, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, Speak to us in our, deep in our spirits. I'm asking God that you would speak past the level of the intellect, past the, the level of our emotions, but God, that you would speak to us deep in our innermost being. God, we just pray that you would commune with us to deep within. And when we leave this place today, God, may we say to ourselves, surely I have heard from God on this day. This, this one thing we ask of you, God, speak, your, your children are listening. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, <clears throat> here in the beauty and the sweetness and the love and the fellowship of the moment of us being together as a family, I wonder if there's any way that we can even begin to comprehend the horror of what Ezekiel the prophet must have experienced as he beheld the Valley of Dry Bones. 
I wonder if there's any way that we can even begin to understand what he felt as his eyes looked upon a scene that would make the killing fields of Cambodia seem like child's play. It seems like he looks out across a vast valley covered with parched bones of thousands upon thousands of skeletons that are now so dry that they have come apart to the point that they, they no longer even lie in order. They've been scattered about the valley floor. I wonder if we can even begin to comprehend the dreadfulness of the scene as Ezekiel gazed upon a, the, the cluttered bones of a million devastated lives. He scanned them, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit around the edge of the valley, saying, Lord, what, what is this? In order for us to understand this in any way other than a superficial manner, like the old spiritual ankle bone connected to the shin bone, the shin bone connected to the knee bone, now hear the word of the Lord. You know, if we're going to go any deeper than that, then we're going to have to see the prophecy in the context of the book itself and as well as in the life of the prophet Ezekiel. You know, the book of Ezekiel begins with the glory of God and it ends with the presence of God. And in the middle is the people of God. In the very first chapter of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel opens his prophecy with one of the most straightforward beginnings of any of the prophets in Scripture. He simply says this, In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month of the, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And I saw visions of God. Now, why is that phrase so particularly important? We, we don't see it. We don't understand it fully in our setting, in our culture. It's important because Ezekiel was what, is, was what we call an exilic prophet. Prophet, an exilic prophet. Now, that, that is to say that he prophesied to the people of Israel during the time of their captivity, during the time when they, they were exiled from the land of Israel. He says, while I was among the people of God in captivity by the Kibar River, I saw visions of God. Now, you need to remember that the ancient Hebrew had a very, just like other people of that age, had a very narrow understanding of the God of Israel and, and, and the God of different nations. When, when, he, when Ezekiel said the God of Israel, he meant that in a very real way. The phrase would refer to the God who lived in the land of Israel. That was their mindset. It would refer to the God who loved and guarded Israel. But more than that, it meant that the God who was more or less almost the property of Israel in a sense. So he was thought of as literally the God of Israel. That's where he was. At the time of Ezekiel's vision, though, Israel is no more. The nation has been obliterated. Their culture has been plowed under the, the wheels of the Syrians. Their language has been dragged behind the chariots of the Babylonians. Their families have been destroyed. Their homes have been devastated. Their cities have been razed to the ground. The temple is not even standing anymore. And in their minds, that's where God lived. Now, if God is the God of Israel and Israel has been destroyed, then in their mind, the question is, then where is the God of Israel. Hence the significance of this simple phrase, I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. It's as if God was saying, if Israel is swept away, if the people are no more, if your language and culture and traditions and religion are all gone, yet still I remain. I am the Lord your God. 
What a wonderful thing for us to know even now. Isn't it true in the history of the United States of America? Isn't this surely the winter of our discontent? Isn't this surely one of the darkest times in the history of our nation? Our confidence in our most established institutions has been shaken. The places, places where we looked for the most stability have been and are being shaken. Isn't this a time when we are being crucially tested as a people? Surely as we look upon much of the nation, we're able to see hardly more than just a valley of dry bones. We see marriages in ruin, homes in devastation, families hurting, and our stars and our heroes falling from the heavens like comets. We see sin celebrated and those who call for a return to holiness are shamed and held in contempt and they're canceled in our culture. We see scandal in the church and devastation in the world. Surely from one vantage point or another, we gaze out from the promontory of Ezekiel and I think we see hardly more than just a valley of dry bones. We must understand what that's about. What is it? You know, it's one of the hardest things in the Bible for contemporary Western Christians to even begin to think upon. It is this. When we live and move and act outside of and in contradiction to the will and authority of God, we suffer. We suffer. And America is plunging headlong into sin. We, we don't merely sin ourselves, but we encourage others to follow your heart, quote unquote, and plunge into sin. We, we even celebrate sin, and that sin brings suffering. We are experiencing, my friend, the wrath of God as defined by Romans 1. We, we think of the wrath of God and we sometimes think of tornadoes and earthquakes and, you know, fire of God falling from heaven. And certainly that can be the wrath of God at times, but Romans 1 tells us, that the wrath of God being poured on is, is much different than that and far more subtle in a sense, but far more devastating. But look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all, excuse me, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, who suppress the truth by the wickedness. So already he's already saying the wrath of God is being revealed. It's being poured out. Verse 19, why? Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, here's where we see how the wrath of God is being poured out in response to all of those things that Paul just talked about. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. 
Because of this, here it is again, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That is where America is. In other words, the wrath of God is made manifest when God gives people over to their sins, to the things that they desire, to the lusts of their heart, so that they will reap the natural consequences of those sins. Because sin, living outside the will of God, brings suffering. When that happens, when God gives them over, the downward spiral begins and the wickedness, wickedness gets greater and greater and they encourage other people in, in their sins. This is a picture of the suffering that comes when we insist on pursuing our sinful desires and God says, if that's what you want, you can have it, but you will receive in yourself the due penalty for your sin. You know, I've always, always been amazed at people who live their lives with reckless abandon and live their lives outside the will of God. And then when something goes wrong, you know, you go to jail, you destroy your marriage, you, you lose your children because of your actions. And then you say, why did God do this to me? You ever had somebody say that? Why did God let this happen? Well, my answer is you chose that. You chose that. God just gave you the thing that you wanted to pursue instead of pursuing God. And now you're just reaping the harvest from the seeds that you've sown. You chose to make money your God and neglected your wife and kids. Why should it surprise you when you lose them? You chose to pursue pleasure through drugs and alcohol and, and illicit sex. Why should it surprise you that you wind up alone, addicted, and without hope? Every now and then you, you meet someone who says, Oh, oh, you Christians, you're just trying to always, always trying to impose your morality on others. When people say that, I, I wish that those people could come and go with me and stand beside the bed of a 47-year-old man who is dying of cirrhosis of the liver while his poor little wife is sitting there weeping and crying and his children despise him because he's drunk away their lives and he's drunk away his job and he's destroyed his life and destroyed his good name. I wish those people could sit with me and see the agony and the pain of that moment. We're talking about devastation. We're not talking about imposing morality. I wish that those that say, you Christians are always trying to convert everybody to your opinions. We're not talking about converting people to our opinions. I mean, I wish you could walk into a crack house with me like I did in Reno, Nevada, and see the squalor and the pain and the devastation and the hopelessness that living outside of God's ways brings. I wish that you could come with me and walk with me up to the 
to the, onto the front step of a little house that just stinks of sin and open the door and see some little five-year-old boy hungry and dirty because his dad has shot the money that should pay for shoes and food into his arm and his dad is lying there in a drug-induced stupor and his mother is out with her boyfriend and the little child is trying to pour a few cornflakes into a bowl with no milk, trying to hold his life and his soul and his sanity together because he's living his life in a valley of dry bones. I wish you could stand and walk the streets of Times Square on a Saturday evening and see a nine-year-old boy selling his body to decent, respectable, middle-class businessmen in Cadillacs. I wish you could just, we could just begin to comprehend the era of misery and sin and unrighteousness which is before us. But you know what? We, many times we see it in our own lives, don't we? Homes that are hurting. Marriages that are hell on earth. Children in rebellion and fear and anxiety and doubt. Something is wrong in our country when children are killing people because they're bored. Because that has happened. People, kids have killed and they said, well, we were bored. Something is wrong. Something is wrong when a middle school girl can hang herself from the bleachers in her school in Indiana and not even leave, leave a note and two parents weeping and mourning sitting in the front row of a church while the minister scrambles to say something meaning, meaningful. You see the horror on the news. You see the misery on the television. And all I can see is dry bones. Devastation. The horror. And yet God does not just lead Ezekiel out there and show him that vision and then abandon him. Neither does he let us open our eyes to see the dry bones around us and leave us without hope. But he asked, God asked that great prophet Ezekiel this great question. He says, son of man, can these bones live again? Can these bones live again? Look at the humility of the prophet. He says, Lord, you, you know. Why are you asking me? I don't know. You know these kind of things. You're, the, you're a God of miracles. You're a God of grace and power. Only, only you know that. I just I know what I see. I see what I see, but, but you know everything. And God says to the prophet, he says, speak. Prophesy to these bones. Speak to them. God says in the New Testament that he's chosen to save people by the foolishness of preaching. And, I, and I'm caught by that often when I think about the foolishness of preaching. And I'm, I read this story and I see the foolishness that's going on here because God tells him to prophesy to this valley of scattered bones. Can you imagine a scene more foolish than the, this wild-eyed prophet standing up on a rock overlooking a valley of parched bones and saying to the bones, Up! Stand up! Is there anything more foolish than that? That's, that's where the old spiritual song came from. Now, now, now do you get it? Toe bone connect to the foot bone. Foot bone connect to the leg bone. Leg bone connect to the hip bone. Hear the word of the Lord. Stand up. That's where that song came from. Imagine the magnificent moment when in, in accordance with the command of God Almighty, the prophet spoke to those dry bones. God Almighty would have been justified, 
just to, to be able to say, these dry bones are dry because they deserve it. They're dry bones because I punished them. They're dry bones because of their sin. I never want to hear from them again. I will never speak to them again. I will never answer a prayer for them again. They're dry bones and they deserve to be dry bones. But instead he descends by the power of the Holy Spirit and takes hold of the prophet and says, speak life. Speak life to these bones. What a, what a magnificent moment. And then can you imagine the clatter of a million bones suddenly beginning to move. Bones that had been scattered began to find their original places. Can you, can you even begin to imagine this scene? I marvel that Hollywood has never gotten a hold of this. I would love to see the book of Ezekiel directed by Steven Spielberg. You know, no matter how well he did it, it just would not equal the scene. Imagine as they come together. With a clatter and a roar of bones clicking under bones. Devastation giving way to renewal. Death yielding to resurrection. Doom giving way to mercy. Judgment yielding, to the, to, yielding the field to powerful grace. Bones coming together and forming bodies again. What a miracle, you say. Well, I tell you, I have seen it over and over and over again. A number of years ago, there was a great outreach that was taking place in downtown Minneapolis. They put up this big platform out in an open area in the inner city, and thousands of people in the area came out to watch. One night, a preacher preached a message, and he watched as, as out of the slums and, and out of the ghettos, people came, and they received Christ as their Savior. The power of God was moving. It was, it was like watching skeletons come rise up from the fields and walk. But one man, along with his wife and a, a woman, a little boy, they came and stood at the edge of the platform. This man was a shrunken, emaciated shell of a man. The whites of his eyes were, were as yellow as an orange. His, his hands shook constantly as the woman and that skinny little boy stood beside him. And as the counselors and some of the pastors in, the, in that crusade got together, they, they prayed with him and then they called the, the, the evangelist over and they said, it appears this man is having a great miracle. And that preacher looked at him and, and, his, and that man's hands had quit shaking and the yellow was gone and he was standing calm. And he looked that preacher in the eye and he said, I've been a mainline heroin addict for 16 years, but something's happened to me. He says, I feel like I'm standing up straight for the first time in 20 years. He said, I'm going to live for God. He took his wife's hand and started walking away with that little boy trailing behind him. And suddenly that little boy turned back and reached up and he grabbed the, the, the evangelist's pants leg as he was standing on the platform and he grabbed his leg and started jerking on it to get his attention and the preacher turned out and saw him and he said, what is it, son? And the little boy pointed off to that man and said, that's my dad! That's my dad! And the preacher realized that it was the first time in that little boy's life that he'd ever been proud of his daddy. And he said, look at these dry boats! They do walk. I've seen it in a young man named Kerry. He was a notorious drug dealer and a feared man in the community of Twin Falls, Idaho. He got arrested and because he was connected with someone in the church, I was asked to go see him in prison. And I, being a great man of faith and power, didn't want to because I was afraid to. 
But I went. And I met with Carrie. And I found a man who had lived a life, a devastated life of, of, of abuse and torment. I found a man that didn't want to live the way that he lived, but he didn't know what else to do. Found a man who wanted freedom, and I, I prayed with him as he was there on the other side of the glass as he shed tears and surrendered his life to Jesus. And I started visiting him regularly in jail and got a Bible for, for him. And he'd never had a Bible. He'd never read a Bible. And he started reading it, and I started working to try to meet with him to disciple him. And the, 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 the next week after I got the Bible to him, he, he just glowed with the presence of God. And he was telling me all about it. He, he said, he told me, he said, I got to tell you, there are these 12 guys in here. They're known as disciples. He had no idea any of this. He said, he said, did you know this thing is divided into two parts, an Old Testament and a New Testament? It was all brand new to him. And I watched him grow. I watched him change. A little while later, he got out of jail and when he got out of jail, he came to church, and he was a little bit afraid of that. Frankly, I mean, I was a little afraid of that. You don't know what the moment's going to be, but he got out of jail, and he came to church. And I told the Sunday school class that I was teaching, I said, he's coming. I said, I just want you to be ready. And I watched as he walked into that church. And the body of Christ wrapped their arms around him and said, you're one of ours. And I stood back and I said, look at thy, those dry bones. They do walk. What a privilege, what an honor to speak the resurrecting, resurrecting power of life. But even still in this story, God is not finished. He said, prophesy again. Bones had come together, flesh had covered the skeletons, but he said, look, do, do they move? Do they have power? Do they have the grace to fulfill my will? And God said they need something else. They need breath. Ruach, the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine now the prophet saying, come wind of God or come breath of God. It's the same word in Hebrew for wind and breath. So that's why some translations say wind, some say breath. It's the same thing. From the east and the west and the north and the south. Come wind of God. Come breath of God. Can you, can you imagine the swirling power of that dramatic wind moving across those, these bodies as the breath of life moves down inside of them? The very same breath that moved into the, into the nostrils of Adam. It says that God made Adam out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. A human being made in the image of God. Romans chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness. That's the same breath. You see, the same word for wind and breath is also the same word used for spirit in the, in the language of Hebrew. And so we're telling, is telling us that the same breath of God that breathed down into the tomb of Jesus and brought his body alive again from the dead is the same spirit that breathed life, life into Adam and breathed life into these dry bones and breathes life into us today. The same breath of God breathed out into something that was dead and now made alive. See, that is the Bible in a nutshell. That's the story of the gospel in a nutshell. Imagine Jesus walking into a cemetery. All the people were weeping and crying. Jesus with his own cheeks 
wet from the tears that he has cried as he sees the obscenity of a tomb that, that holds his friend. And he says, he's not supposed to be dead. He's supposed to be alive. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And that same spirit moves deep down inside. That spirit of life comes once again. And Lazarus comes walking out of the tomb alive. I've seen it over and over and over again. Seen it in my own life. In June of 1980, I was a lonely, broken teenager who was basically a walking dead man. My life was in ruins. I had no future, no hope, no love. I could see absolutely nothing to live for. My life was meaningless to me and I was going nowhere except I, the only place I could see that I was going to go was toward an early grave as an alcoholic. And then at an altar at a southern Missouri youth camp. God revealed to me the devastation of my own life. I saw myself as I was. I was dry bones. Dry bones. I was nothing. I felt the weight of my sins. And I knew, like Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, I knew I was undone. When we come to the place where we see ourselves as we really are, when we come to the place where we... Where, where we come face to face with the reality of our sins. In that moment, I don't know if, you, if you're like me, but in that moment, I felt like saying, God, don't kill me. God, don't kill me. And you know what God does when we say that? God just laughs and he says, kill you? I'm not going to kill you, son. You're already dead. He says, I'm not here to kill you. If I wanted you dead, I don't have to do anything at all. You're already dead. He says, I'm not here to give death, but I'm here to give life and to give it more abundantly. In that moment, the altar in southern Missouri, after I realized that God hadn't given up on me, because I thought I'd gone too far. I thought there was no way that God would ever want me back. And that moment when I realized that I said, God, I surrender my life. Fill me with your spirit. Now, Ezekiel wasn't in the room as far as I know that day. But by the grace of Almighty God, I'm telling you, the breath of life came into my life that day. The breath of God entered into me. And you, and you see this. You see my hands, my feet, my legs, the flesh the, upon flesh. I'm here to tell you it is nothing. It's nothing more than a tent uh, uh, that we're going to fold up one day and move on. But I can tell you this Inside of this, inside of this flesh, inside of me, this inside of me, this eternal spirit dwells, made in the image of an everlasting God that is that has that has been sanctified and set free. Chains have been broken off, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you that I'm alive. I'm alive and I'm not just existing. I'm not just floating through life. I'm alive, and it's wonderful. You see, the valley of dry bones is not the valley of condemnation. Sometimes you see your life and you say, man, it's a valley of dry bones. God must really hate me. But the valley of dry bones is not the valley of condemnation. The valley of dry bones is not God standing up on the mountaintop saying, there, now you got what you deserved. It's God saying, come, let us reason together. 
You don't like this. You don't want this. You don't want to live like this. You don't want this death. You don't want this, this destruction. You don't want this judgment. It is God saying, come unto me, all that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest and life and peace and power and all that you need in life. The Valley of Dry Bones is the eternal, everlasting, rich, loving invitation of a God of infinite grace. When he shows you your own valley of dry bones, that's really him showing you this is the place where I want to pour my grace out. Oh, what a Savior we serve. How marvelous are his ways. How glorious is his love. How beautiful on the, on the mountainside are the feet of him that brings good news. How wonderful is this Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross, the same principle was in effect. In effect. A Roman soldier, wine-soaked, demonized, angry, filled with hate. Just, he took a spear and stabbed Jesus just to see how he'd bleed. And love and mercy flowed down, mingled like wine and water. Standing there with a bloody spear in his hand, he said, Surely this was the Son of God. I don't know what became of that Roman soldier who said that in this life, but I believe that he's alive today in the presence of God. And no matter where you've been or what you've done or how evil you think you've been, there is life available for you through Jesus. No matter how good you are or how good you think you are, outside of the everlasting grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the covenant of his shed blood, there's nothing but death and dry bones for us. But oh, how sweet the name of Jesus who brings the dead to life again and makes them breathe in the power of His Holy Spirit. You know, I know we as the Pentecostal community love to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and I preach about it. I cherish that. But I'll tell you what the baptism of the Holy Spirit really is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Jesus taking dead clay people and doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation until they come alive. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what effect sin has had in your life. I don't know what's hurting in your marriage or your life or your home, or your family, but I do know this. God has placed in my mouth this morning the wonderful privilege to prophesy over you, and I speak life to you. Stand up and live. Hear the word of the Lord. Breathe the breath of God, and God will make you alive, and the power of God will dwell within you. I speak unto you life. All over this building, I speak the life of God in the name of Jesus. Receive life. I speak life, not death. I speak grace, not judgment. I speak forgiveness, not law. I speak resurrection, not death. I speak power, not weakness. I speak strength and courage and all the blessings of God. Life be unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our resurrection. Receive life. Receive the very life of God. Be filled with His life today. Receive it. It says that when the breath of God came upon them, that they became a great army. A great army. I don't know what that passage means to you. Maybe I've been a Christian too long. 
but it speaks to me of the church. And I'm not just talking about Baptist or Methodist or Assemblies of God. I'm talking about the transcendent bride of Christ, the church. I've seen that body come alive and breathe, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen that body become a mighty army of faith and love and action. I'm here to tell you today, I see this church being raised up and coming alive and breathing full of the power of the Holy Spirit and walking under the anointing of God. I've often prayed in my times praying for this church and said, God, can these bones live? God's answer is yes! Yes, these bones can live. Yes, God's going to raise this church up. Yes, God's going to raise you up from the valley of death that you're living in. Yes, God's going to heal marriages. Yes, God's going to restore health. Yes, God is going to do these things. These bones shall live in the name of Jesus. Let me just close by telling you one story of the body of Christ being raised up by the Holy Spirit. A missionary in Peru traveled deep into the jungle to a village with the illustrious name of Mosquito. And there were plenty of them. It was appropriately named. They spent two weeks there and they saw dry bones raised from the dead. They saw natives that were Drunken, debauched, and diseased, filled with the power of God. They saw 18 young men give their lives to Christ and their families to follow. Some of the older people responded. Many of the children responded. And they built a little thatched church made of nothing but reeds and twigs. And The, the, the people in that village had never seen a church uh, before. And, and, and two weeks before, they'd never even been, been in a Christian in that place before. But they built that little building and told them that it was called a church and that they could come here to meet and pray. And then they, the missionary and his team had to leave. The missionary telling the story, he said, I remember looking over my shoulders as they paddled up the river. And he said, I was thinking to myself, oh my, what have I done? He thought, maybe, maybe I've just birthed babies for the, for the sword. They've come to life in, in Jesus and now I have to leave and Will they survive? He was just agonized as he left. He, he, he thought, if, I, if only I could just stay and live with them for a year, I know I could teach them and help them grow. And his heart, heart was just broken. But he had no choice. Well, six months later, he returned. He had sent a messenger ahead of them to let them know that he was on his way and to have, tell them to meet him at, at the church. Well, when the missionary and his team arrived, the church was packed. It's packed. He looked around and knew many of them, but he also realized that there were many that he didn't recognize. And he said, who, who are these people that I don't know? And they said, oh, oh, they've come from another village. They said, we, we got so happy for, in the things you taught us and we felt that it was wrong for us to keep it to ourselves here in our village. We hope you're not angry with us, but we've gone upriver and we've been teaching them the things you taught us and we built them a church up there. They'd gone up and built that church without the missionary's permission or anything. The body of Christ. An army. Effective. Raised. Resurrected. Forgiven. Cleansed. Sanctified. And empowered. 
There, there are people in this world that are trying to explain their lives with things like money and houses and cars and, and even football. I mean, football? No. You, you can't explain your existence in the universe by playing games. Football. Mm. But I can tell you that there are Indians deep in the jungle who have found the ever-living ever loving God and understand the meaning of their lives through some mystery revelation and they understand that they are part of the body of Christ. You see, church is not about coming to a building and going through religious exercises in hopes of appeasing God off somewhere. Church is about people being raised up from the dead, filled with the breath of God, and then called into service. That's life. That's life. Let's pray. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes all over this church. Heavenly Father, I'm thanking you right now in advance for the lives that you're touching and for the hearts upon which you are moving. Thank you, God. Now, Lord, speak to us. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you only this simple question. If you'd say, Pastor Dave, please pray for me. I have become aware that there is a devastation in my life. There is a dryness. There is a loneliness, a fear, a sin, a destruction, something. I don't know what to call it. But the things you've described in the book of Ezekiel is as good a description of my life as, as any. And you'd say, I'm suffering and I want you to pray for me. Nobody's looking around, it's only me. If that's you, I want you just right now just to lift your hand. Lift your hand and, 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 and say, you may be suffering. You may be suffering for your own sins. You may be suffering because of the sins of other people. But you'd say, Pastor, my life is a valley of dry bones and I want to come to life. Would you pray for me? If that's you, slip your hand up. Yes. All over this place. There are hands all over the place. Maybe you're watching on the live stream. God is not, he is not limited by Technology, the Holy Spirit can fill that place where you are right now. He, and you can reach out to Him and say, Lord, my life is a valley of dry bones. Make me come alive. Now listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And then when I finish this prayer, I'm going to say amen. And I'm giving you the, just the humblest, kindest, sweetest invitation I know how to give. But when I say amen to this prayer, the people around you are going to stand and we're going to begin to sing. Pastor Marybeth, you lead us in a song. And when I say amen, people are going to stand and they're going to begin to sing and worship, but not you. You're going to stand up on your feet and you're going to come alive. You're going to step out from where you are and I'm inviting you to take that step of faith to leave your place, literally and figuratively, and to come and stand right here in the, in, fr in the front of this building, in front of me. And I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to believe God for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to come alive in your life. This is the Sunday for you to know that you are alive in Jesus. The same God who caused the Valley of Dry Bones to be a mighty army is now ready to bless your life. I'm inviting you, and when I say amen to this prayer without any hesitation, don't wait a second. Don't even wait for the music. Don't wait for the singing. Don't wait for anyone else to move. But the second I say amen to, to this very prayer, 
As people begin to, to stand, you press your way out into the aisle. And if somebody's in the way, say, please, would you let me out? They'll let you out. Someone will come with you probably. and Make your way up here. We're going to pray together and believe God this morning in the wonderful name of Jesus. Why would you wait? Why would you wait? It is the Lord who is calling you and not man. So when I say amen, stand up and live. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. But if that's a part of you that says, Pastor Dave, my life is a valley of dry bones and I want to live, then put feet to your faith. Now, are you ready? Come, ready to come to life. Move as soon as I say amen. Father, call people whom you love more than they could ever imagine to, to life today. Speak to them right now. Bring life where there is death. Bring, bring uh, the rain of your spirit where there is dryness. Bring restoration where there is destruction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now come. Now come. Do you want that? Do you want the life? Do you want the dry bones to, to give way to life? Come. Take that step of faith. There are people moving without hesitation. The rest of you stand. Mary Beth is going to lead us in a song and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. I don't care. Listen, if we have everybody up at the altar, that's, what, that's okay. These bones will live. I speak it in the name of Jesus. These bones will live. The bones of your marriage will live. The bones of your, of your, of your teenagers will live. The, the, the struggles with your kids, they, those bones will come to life. The health problems, these bones will live. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Would everybody just, just right now begin to just lift your hands to Him. Just lift your hands to Him right now. I know some of you may not be comfortable doing that. But I want you to raise your hands to Him and say, Oh God, I need your life. Oh God, I need your anointing. Oh God, I need your spirit. God, I need you to send the rain of your spirit. God, in the name of Jesus, let these bones begin to live. God, begin to, in the name of Jesus to raise up an army. A powerful, mighty army, Lord God, that's filled with the Spirit of God. You know those places in our lives that where there's devastation, where there's death, where there's pain, where there's loneliness, where there's nothing good. And God, in the name of Jesus, we speak life to those places. In the name of Jesus, we prophesy to those dead bones. And we say, up, stand up and live in the name of Jesus. Lord, we speak to this church. We speak to the members of this church to those who say this is their church home. God, in the name of Jesus, we speak to dry bones and we say stand up and live. You will be a mighty army in the name of Jesus. You are all we want. You're all we want, God. Sing with Mary Beth. Lift your hands up. Begin to worship Him. You're all we want. Oh God, you can do this. Only you can do this. Holy Spirit, move by your power. Move by your Spirit. Raise up. Raise up, oh God. Oh, you're all we want, Lord God. You're all we want, Lord. You're all we want. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah.
Oh God, I speak to the dry bones of Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, right now, God, we come before you. And Lord God, we know that these supernatural things that you want to do, they do not rest upon us or our abilities. We don't come to you today, God, thinking that somehow we can make dry bones come to life. God, we know we can't. I can't make a fly come to life. But God, we come to you today because we know that you are a God who, who you are the breath of life. Holy Spirit, breathe life into marriages. Holy Spirit, breathe life into relationships with, with God. Holy Spirit, breathe life into relationships between parents and children. Holy Spirit, breathe life into prodigals that are running from you. Holy Spirit, breathe life into, into Christians that have grown lackadaisical, that have grown lukewarm. Oh, Holy Spirit, breathe life. You are the life giver. And we believe you for what you're going to accomplish. And Lord, we believe that what you want to do by, bring, by bringing a valley full of dead bones to life is more than just the miracle of the moment. But it's about the army that will march forward. God, I pray that you would raise us up. We're here. We, we know we're nothing in our own. Without you, we are weak. But God, with you, we are more than conquerors. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So God, we want, we want to change this city. We want to change this county. We want to be a catalyst. But God, we know that we can't do that. It's not up to us. All we can do is surrender ourselves to you and be obedient to you. It's up to you to start the fire. It's up to, to you to change lives. It's up to you to impact this city. But God, you do say we have to be obedient. And Lord, as you called out to us today in this valley of dry bones, now, Lord God, we want to respond because you told the army through the prophet of Ezekiel in that valley to stand up. And now, God, you're speaking to us and saying, okay, now I'm doing something. Now you respond in obedience. Stand up. Do what I've told you to do. Be what I've called you to be. From now on, it's no more life as usual. From now on, it's a life empowered by the Spirit of God. Marching forward with one cause, with one purpose. That is to make Jesus famous. God, I pray you would accomplish that in our lives. Let this be a turning point for us, not just as a church, but us as individuals, as families. As you bring the prodigals home, God, we're just believing for great miracles. And Lord, I pray that as we prepare to leave this place, we ask that you would anoint us. We've come here, Lord God, and we've received a touch from your spirit. But your anointing is not just so that we'll feel good. It's not so that we'll walk out of here and say, wow, that was a wonderful service. 
It's so that we'll walk out of here and say, I know I've heard from God. I've got to go share this. That we'll be like that village in Peru that says we just, it just wasn't right to keep it to ourselves. That God, that we will be overwhelmed with the awesome privilege and responsibility we have of being your hands and feet in this community. So God, anoint us. Fill us with the Spirit, that breath of life. And let us speak life to this community. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.